Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's have the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Colson, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. How's it going? <laughs> it's going okay, except that we had to do like five takes on that because Kate's drunk, everyone. She's yeah, had like clearly. eight mimosas already. All no, of the mimosas. Um, all the mimosas. I actually did have a mimosa this morning. My leasing office did like a continental breakfast and I had a mimosa at nine o'clock this morning. Um, it was technically 12 o'clock because mm-hmm. I work East Coast hours. Yeah. So I feel like that's okay. Hey, I went to see Avengers at 9 a.m. And if I was able to, I, uh, I I would have had a mimosa. I'm, I'm not allowed to have booze or bubbles or caffeine or, or lactose right now. So like, I'm just drinking almond milk is terrible. I'm sure the people who like it, it's just, it's, it's like, it just makes me sad. Um, the point being, if I could have had a mimosa this morning when I Mm -hmm. sat down for Avengers, I would have been all over that shit. So no judgment here. Yeah, no, and I'm jealous that you've seen Avengers already. I'm not seeing it for like another 24 hours. Oh, may you may you remain unspoiled, sir. I've done really well so far, so knock on wood that that continues. Yeah, I feel Just like people are being pretty cool up. about it so far. Don't, don't slip up, Kate. Don't slip up. Don't tell me something. <laughs> don't worry. The when you do see it, I have yeah. I have like, and listeners, if you've seen it, I have questions about. Um, because they have the post credit scene, right? And yeah, so sure. then you sit there all the way through the credits, and at the end of like towards the end of the credits, when they're going through like the this character created by this person, this character created like that part of thing, there's yeah. like there's a line in there, like character from blank, courtesy of blank, and mm-hmm. it's not a care, it's not a like a comic thing at all, and I totally missed it, and it's TV related, and I don't want to say any more than that. Um, okay. But when you've seen it, touch base with me because <laughs> I have no idea when or how this happened. Uh, and so, and it's a show that I really enjoy. Um, so, so I would love to pick your brain after you've seen it if, if you noticed it and where I missed it. So okay. I'm being very uh, vague. Well, now I'm going to be hyper alert for like some weird Good. sort of taxi reference. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a TV show. It's a character yeah. apparently from a TV show or something. From a specific mm-hmm. TV show. I'm not saying which one, though. Um, okay. Completely unrelated to anything Marvel, so there's no spoilers. It, it feels like an Easter egg somebody stuck in the background somewhere. Okay. Anyways. Was it community? Did the Russos work in a community reference? No, it's not about... Oh. Com- there, there, there might be community references that I just wasn't paying attention to, but yeah. that's not... Because, I mean, I rewatched Civil War today, and, like, Jim Rash popped up, and I just went, right! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jim Rash. Everybody, everybody likes Jim Rash. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of TV to talk about this week. Uh, surprisingly, like, there's a lot of shows I wanted to check in with, so yeah. uh, we're going to try to keep things uh, somewhat moving. However, there's a lot of TV news we wanted to to, to mention. Um, first of all, because I keep forgetting to mention this at the top of the show, um, I was guest over on the TV Party podcast over Consequence of Sound the last couple of weeks, and this week we talked about, um, the two weeks ago we talked about the Mad Men, like the greatest Mad Men character. Uh, and we had that discussion debate as well as like the regular week's TV. And then this last week we talked about two cathedrals from the West Wing, which did prompt me to watch like four or five episodes of the West Wing after we recorded just from talking about it with the guys over there. And uh, uh, like that just was like, yeah, it's been a while since I watched that set of episodes. So I, I 
yeah, I, I should have been working more. I was like, I can do this on the background. I could totally watch 17 people in the background while I did some like, you know. That's not possible. No, it was not. It was not. But also, anyways, and, and you did Legends Tomorrow with them too, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And we did a deep dive on season two. Sorry, season three of Legends of Tomorrow. So that is all yeah. over at Consequences Sound podcast. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, so go check that out if you are so inclined. Mm-hmm. <laughs> behind for Allison <laughs> well uh, just to let you know I did have all to, the good stuff I had to specifically shout you out because we were talking <laughs> about uh, we were talking about Blackish I was like well my co-host made this excellent <laughs> point about Mad About You um, and so we we're talking about that. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, lots of fun stuff over there. Thank you to friend of the show, Alison Shoemaker. Uh, this last episode had uh, from the show Caroline Sita on it with me as well. Uh, so if, if you guys enjoyed the DVD show we did forever ago with Caroline on the West Wing, go check that out. Um, but TV-related news. This first one is not actually TV-related, but it's fandom-related. I feel like we can talk about it. So did, have you been following the whole, like, craziness around Universal Fan Con a little bit. Like, I didn't know what was happening. Um, uh, I saw um, someone who's more tapped into that stuff um, tweet about it a little bit um, while I was getting packed to go to Tacoma last week. And so I did, like, some quick, like, reading up on it. Like, the Hollywood Reporter has been covering this, which has been impressive. And so I was, like, reading through that and just went, oh, that sounds terrible and not at all shady. <laughs> uh <laughs> Um, so yeah, no, I was keeping up with that. Basically, for those who aren't aware, um, this convention in Baltimore was supposed to happen, uh, last week, last this, week, this, this weekend, week. it was supposed to happen this weekend. And then without any warning, they just went, yeah, it's not happening. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Too yeah. bad you can't refund those airplane tickets you definitely already bought. And, right. and for the also, people who are stuck with the airplane tickets, that hotel yeah. we told you you had, you don't. So you can yeah, fly you out to Baltimore, but you won't be able to stay anywhere. That that hotel room, by the way, was also maybe potentially a Kickstarter reward. <laughs> Jokes yeah. on you guys. Yeah. Um, so that happened. But tell me what's happening in like as a result of this. Well, uh, first of all, in the words, uh, the tweet of LeVar Burton, total shit show uh, with Universal Fan Con. And it's just really like there, there's been a pe- few people who have done like write-ups of like what happened and like doing some investigative reporting on it and just like a- astonishing like it- it's uh yeah it's just a total it it's it's boggles my mind the m- number of things that had to go wrong or uh the m- number of things that had to be mismanaged to yeah. make all of this come together uh in such a shitty way but um, the Nerds of Color, new release Wednesday, Blurred Girl, Black Heroes Matter, and uh, Andre, uh, Andre Robinson from Carbon Fiber Media and Elijah Kelly from Be a Boss have come together to create Y Comic Con, which is a one-day pop-up fan thing that they're mm-hmm. doing in Baltimore at the Y Comico building, which is why mm-hmm. it's called that. Um, but that is amazing. They've, they put this yeah. together over the course of a week, and it's just I'm super impressed by all of these people. Um, and uh, so it just shows what is possible when you're motivated and you don't have your head up your ass. So yeah. um, shout out to to all of those people. If you're going to be in Baltimore, they're looking for more volunteers. Like if I lived in Baltimore, I would be absolutely there tomorrow volunteering because they need more help. But yeah. it's just in the course of a week, they got a built, they got a space in the Wicomico building. Um, uh, apparently Andre Robinson, some of the people at Carbon Fiber Media ha- like own the building or have connections there or something. And so they're going to have panels. They're going to have vendors. They're going to have uh, all sorts of different stuff going from like 
10 a.m. to 7 p.m., something like that. But I was just mm-hmm. super impressed by them. And that's amazing that something positive can come out of, of, of this just total mismanaging of, of a first con. Yeah, and it's pretty cheap to get in with this. It's, oh, it's 10 bucks. Yeah, it's 10 bucks if you've got a uh, Universal Fan Con no, badge. No, it's, or... it's 5 bucks if you have a Universal oh, Fan Con. Oh, it's 5. Yeah. And okay. it's free and then... for kids under 12. Yeah, so, I mean, it's really cool deal that they're running with this. So, mm-hmm. if you're in Baltimore or in the surrounding, or in, like, the D.C. area, you should probably go check that out. Yeah, and they're still going to have some, some interesting talent. I mean, like, the creator of Luke Cage is going to be there. Yep. And uh, the the, com- the the show, I should say. Yeah. Showrunner, Showrunner yeah. um, and and some other like actors and certainly comics creators and, and such. So go go check it out. You know, this really hit home for me though. Just how impressive Clexicon is. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Though, just like the the, the stark contrast in Clexicon, right. the first year of it coming together, and the way that that was handled. Uh, which you know that that was also a group of people who had never done a con before, yep, um, and who were all volunteering their time, and it was a passion project for them. But the contrasts are just very stark. And shout out to shout out once again to Clexicon. May not be perfect, just you know, no con is perfect, but it's a really impressive accomplishment that they've achieved these these years. And I know they're already planning 2019, so. That's uh, going to be fun for them. Um, I wanted to mention in actual TV news this week, we got a finale date for Sense8, so tears that it's going to be gone. But I'm glad that we know that it's, it's coming back uh, for its two-hour movie on June 8th. Yeah, that's really, really exciting. And in Caroline Sita's words and tweets, Sun doesn't end up with Hot Cop. There's going to be a problem, the- yeah. There's going to be problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, also... A problem. Apparently, uh, there's conflict on the set of Lethal Weapon over at Fox. Um, you can, there's different write ups about it. Um, it sounds like a combination of factors, um, some behavior that seems a little difficult from Damon Wayans around not wanting to do table reads and such, and just that being just something he said from the front from the start if you want me to do the show here here's some things but the bigger issue is apparently Clayton crawford being a dick um, yeah. and causing causing problems i'll say for multiple sources multiple people claiming that he's you know he had to it sounds like he had to go to anger management therapy he had to pay a chunk of change to a director that he was being verbally abusive of in the, the first season and then it was, there was another problem in the episode that he directed so the the reporting on it is not as uh, clear cut when you get more into it because it sounds like some of the things he was complaining about were legit, but that doesn't re- excuse a response. It, right. Like that doesn't excuse, you know, bad behavior in response to less than ideal situations. Um, and certainly uh, they don't, Fox doesn't go about deciding if they're going to recast a role, a, a successful show, one of the two leads, you know, um, in the third season, if, if, if there's not a problem. So yeah, yeah apparently Clint Crawford, fabulous actor, also difficult to work with Dick. Yeah, and it's enough that like there's concerns about whether or not Lethal Weapon will actually even come back next season as a result yeah. of all this, which is shows how serious this is and the degrees to which like your point about what recasting, but also just the fact that they're just kind of like, eh, we're getting bought, we're getting bought by Disney, meh, is also maybe factoring into things. Um, but 
it just seems like they're probably not going to bring it back if they can't f- figure out a resolution to this. They can't get their two leads on screen together, yeah. you know, and they don't find a creative or thing that'll work to recast one of their leads. Like, who knows if it would even work, but... Right. And I yeah. mean, if they're worried about their two leads not having any screen time, I'm sure that the Kings can help them <laughs> navigate that. <laughs> We've seen how well they do that. Let's let's not yeah. have anyone go to the Kings for advice on that. Um <laughs> This week in Me Too news, first of all, uh, fuck Charlie Rose. So did you see this? Um, I didn't see this until you dropped it in there. And then like I watched uh, Seth Meyers' monologue um, this afternoon in which his response to this news was just no. They did like a whole just no segment because Charlie Rose apparently wants to have a Charlie Rose-esque show in which he interviews other men who have been sullied and brought down and unfairly judged in the media by allegations of sexual misconduct and sexual harassment and sexual assault. And it's just like, no, Charlie Rose, no. Why? No. Yeah. Yep. No. Just just take a New York Times op-ed. They love giving op-ed space to people who feel like they're being marginalized when they're not. When they're not. Yes. Uh, yeah. And of course, this coming right, you know, shortly before the Cosby verdict, which was quite a exciting celebratory day. It was a good day the other day because you had Cosby verdict and they caught the Golden State Killer. Uh, so it was it was a very good news day for me that day. Um, but no, for, for people who uh, are concerned that the overreach of Me Too and and all of this unfair overreactions like yes finally after decades cosby is is actually going to face consequences and that's it charlie rose is already shopping his new show so or whoever wants charlie rose to host it i don't know whose idea it was but yeah, yeah that's not happening the the, the the consequences are not actually uh coming together it's like this idea of freedom of speech means freedom from fallout from your speech you know it's like no you can say whatever you want it doesn't mean that people aren't going to react when you state when you say offensive shit um so yeah (sighs) fuck charlie rose um in further you know fuck charlie rose adjacent news uh a for a reporter has who worked with tom brokaw has come forward with allegations of sexual misconduct uh towards him when they worked at both were to nbc in the it was the 90s right yeah, it was in the 90s. Um, she was 28 at the time, I believe. Yeah. Um, and Variety like had has been working on this, I think, for a few months now. Yeah. Um, and then so they've got video interview with um, her as well as a condensed um, discussion about it. I didn't have a chance to read this apart from just basically the top. Yeah. Um, but she alleges what, like two or three very specific instances backed up and then a couple of other ones uh, that happened as well. And Brokaw has already denied it um, mm-hmm. in really stringent terms. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo! Yeah, well, and Fine. and she's got, of course, uh, uh, cooperation from people she told at the time. She wrote a lengthy yeah. journal entry uh, immediately after one of the things happened and she still has that. And so, yeah, sure. Tom Brokaw, um, and and like just the Tom Brokaw's response to to this, his his re- refutation of this included um, that he may have kissed her goodnight at the end of one of their not at all inappropriate 
meetings. Uh, but it was just a normal goodnight peck on the cheeks. Like, it's not normal to kiss people goodnight after a work thing or after a friendly social. That's not normal, Tom Brokaw. So if that's what you're remembering as like, well, the most offensive thing that possibly could have happened is I could have pecked her on the cheek as I was saying goodbye. It's like, this is somebody that you didn't actually work with, but that just shared a work building with you. Um, so... If that's what you're remembering, that's the rose-colored memory you have of this situation, you're not helping your case. Yeah, he's not. So that's, and also, it's just, it's not, that's not a thing that you do in a business setting. No. At least within this culture. That's, and I don't think most cultures, that's a thing that you would do. So. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see, uh, we, with all these other situations when one person has come forward several more have followed so we will see if anything else uh any other uh, people step forward with allegations against tom brokaw i certainly will be following both of these and hopefully the the reaction to the cosby verdict will put a tamp down on this charlie rose show and hey they can people. do a really good interview from you know cosby's cell oh, that'll be God. just great you know that somebody wants to do that. Oh, no, I know someone very wants excited. to do that. Yeah. Ugh. Anyways, um, the last bit of news we have here is uh, sort of an update because we were talking about the uh, Apu controversy and the, the Simpsons handling of that in their recent episode with Lisa. Uh, Hank Zaria was on Colbert and, and you know, discussed that with him and Colbert brought it up and... Like immediately, like it was the top of the interview. They didn't even get to Brock Meyer. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you have a show that, that's coming back and yes, however, we're definitely talking about this. And I think Azaria's response was terrific. I think it's the correct response and I think that it's very puzzling that it wasn't the first response it does feel a little bit because he he very actively like didn't comment to the documentary uh, the problem with yeah. the poo Harry Kanbolo's uh, documentary and so this certainly felt like okay this isn't going away and then the Simpsons yeah. did their thing and people really didn't like that response so now here's how we're going to react to it uh, yeah yeah. Which is sort of brand management any PR person would do. It's like it's not like it's a Hank Azaria is a phony person. Like that's what any person in this situation they would have a prepared statement and they would have seen the various reactions and come forward. The fact that he's willing to to say, you know, if we need to involve South Asian and people uh, of South Asian heritage uh, writers in the writer's room for this character and consider recasting it, and I'm fine with that. That's great. This is what he should have been saying a while ago. Yes. But yeah, no, at least like, now. Yeah, the interview feels very kind of PR sort of driven in terms of like, I've been doing a lot of educating myself, and it's just like, like within the past week, right, Hank? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Um. And I mean, it's it's a good mea culpa from him, but it's also like not going like I think like far enough into the point of like, yeah, I'm just not going to voice this character anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and like, you have the clout to do that. You voice like eighty gazillion characters on The Simpsons, and Colbert even asks him about like how many characters do you voice, and he's just like forty, thirty. I don't know, man. Just all of them except mm -hmm. for the family. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, it's one of those things where he could have just very easily said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then they would have either recast it or just stopped using the character entirely. 
and I think that would have been either of those outcomes probably would have been okay. Um, yeah, depending. And yeah. so, yeah, go ahead. No, no, that's, I was just gonna agree with you and just say, yeah. yeah, if if he was if he felt that strongly about it, he could make that happen. Right, and he can, and he's got that degree of clout. I mean, he's he's worked on the show basically since day one. Yeah. Um, and he's well respected within the industry, both as a voice actor, but also as a, like a live action actor and comedian. So there's there's no reason for him not to have said that um, beyond not wanting to upset the Simpsons. Yeah. Um, but also, gosh, the Simpsons will be just fine without you, Hank. You, they'll actually have to come to you because they'll have to figure out someone to voice Wiggum. <laughs> God knows how again, God knows how many other people. Yeah. Yeah, the um, yeah, they just needed leadership on this, you know. Yeah, and this is something. Yeah, he he should have been that his station and use this position to be a leader on this. If it, but but it doesn't like you said, it feels very brand management. It feels like something that he he's at this place now with it, at least publicly. And if he had been at that place with it initially, that would have solved a lot. But. Pretty much. Yeah. We'll see what happens with it. Uh, any other TV news? Are we newsed out? That's a lot of, <laughs> yeah, a lot no, of I'm stuff a going on. Yeah, out. I'd, I'd, I'd like to discuss our week in television because we have a lot of stuff. Plus, we, have a lot of we stuff. also have a really good segment. Episode. Yeah. We're talking yeah. Jane the Virgin season four and it was so much fun. And yeah. uh, we had to like remind ourselves. I was like, remember how we weren't actually that hot on the season at the start? Yeah. That was I'd- a while ago. Yeah, I blocked all. I blocked the first half of this season completely out, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's coming at the end of the show. Uh, but before that, we have our week in TV. So let's take a break. Listen to a little Diana Ross, and we'll be right back with our week in reality and comedy. That was I'm Coming Out by Diana Ross, which was, of course, the lip sync song for this week's episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. This week in comedy and reality, uh, we're going to get to Drag Race, but we're kicking things off with the premiere of Archer Danger Island, Strange Pilot. Then we're going to check in with Bob's Burgers. It's been a while. So this is Go Teen on the Mountain. Then we have Barry, Chapter 5, Do Your Job. Um, and I'm going to talk just a little bit about Atlanta north of the border before we go over to Drag Race for DragCon panel extravaganza. So first up is Archer Danger Island. And no there's a talking parrot there he's a talk he's a parrot though that's fine that's totally fine he's a parrot he's supposed to talk (laughs) yeah um i saw a article i didn't get a chance to read it but it's talking with um the you know adam reed and the Mm -hmm. i think it might have just been him but it might have been him and some of the other writers or producers over at archer about how their response to the world is just to be like you know what 
we got all this crazy stuff going on. We got Trump. We got all so much craziness in the world right now. We're just going to have a, like a, a world po- just post or pre-World War II adventure on an island with a talking parrot. We're just going to do that, guys, because uh, we don't – escapism. Escapism for the win. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how we're doing this and, season. And John Landgraf will let us because he'll let us do anything. Yep, yep. And certainly, you know, after the success of Dreamland and, and uh, Archer Vice, I think that going this way is a totally fine way. It's, like, it's just – it's like taking these very straight – like these very straightforward archetypal characters that they have – jettisoning the jettisoning the the baggage and the backstory and just keeping the the archetype and doing something else with it and you know i if any show can get away with that it's archer and it would be nice if more shows felt comfortable doing that in their ninth season you know just have a wacky adventure because that's the tone of the show and rather than getting more because a lot a lot of comedies as they get further and further along they're mostly comedic but then they have threads of dramatic tension that get developed and eventually resolved. And over time, as those narratives build and build, it's easy for the show to actually end up a lot more sentimental and dramatic than it started out as. Um, and th- this is one way to avoid that. They're like, There's no cancer anymore. There's no dealing with Woodhouse's death. There's none of that. It's just wacky adventures. And I'm super okay with that. Well, there there may not be yet. I mean, like Woodhouse's stuff in Dreamland, I think, plays a part to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we're not quite sure how this is going to play out yet. And there's definitely that little tease at the beginning of he looks so peaceful when he's sleeping. And then we're cut right into Danger Island um, <laughs> type stuff. And I think this is fine. Um, it's yeah, it's fine. Like I wasn't like particularly compelled necessarily by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was chuckling cause I always enjoy a good Casablanca riff. So I'm there for that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Um, who isn't? Um, and I, I do like that the show is like very aggressively, like not paired up in a romantic sense, but paired up in a comedy sense, like, um, Archer and Pam, which is like gold for this show and has been really consistently. So to have mm-hmm. them be sort of partners within this uh, framework, I think is really, really smart. Um, the only thing I was really missing from this and Kate, I was just missing some good tailspin jokes. Yeah, right. And I, I just I don't know what happened there. I, I really want to ask Adam Reed. It was just like you, you set yourselves up for some really good tailspin stuff right here. And you didn't do any. Maybe there wasn't any coming. like. Yeah, maybe there's coming. Yeah, maybe. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Because um, it was just like, it would have been really easy to have Cheryl just like cloud surfing on a boomerang or whatever <laughs> that was. Um, so we'll see. I'm, 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 I like Archer so much in general. So even if I'm not particularly grabbed by like the premiere, I'm just like, I'll come back for another, like the rest of the season, probably, unless you just do something really boring. Mm-hmm. Um, which is sort of where I ended up like by the end of Vice, um, where I was just like, this isn't working at all for me. Or whatever the really drug-heavy episode season was. Yeah. Was that Vice? That seems right. Yeah, I yeah. can't remember now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see. But I, I, like you said, the fact that they're willing to do this sort of thing and that they can get away with doing this sort of thing, I think is really lovely. And that, like you said, they're archetypal type characters, so you can just kind of mess with them, and you've got a voice cast that can support that as well, which is also really, really key to the show's success in doing these kind of transitions, is that you've got such good and smart actors to pull all of this off that 
we buy into it just immediately. And I think that's a huge, huge thing that the show is going forward and why they can keep doing this. Absolutely. Well, and they're, they're just so game to just go for yeah. it. So, yeah. As a, anyone who's been to their panel at Comic-Con knows this is a fun group of people to stick in a room. So uh, whatever, you know, way they want to tweak that uh, ensemble, I'm I'm there to, to see what, what happens. Uh, I will be surprised if, like, with these different excursions it really does feel like a and let's have some more fun as opposed yeah. to all-time great episodes it feels yeah. like the show's in decline but yeah. i'm still having fun with it so yeah. maybe they can pull up like <laughs> i don't know if they will ever top the 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 canadian train episode the limited Never. right oh, God, like episode's so good it's probably I, my favorite episode of theirs i can't even like imagine a way in which this setup could be as good as that you know what i mean yeah which yeah. is a bit you know, disconcerting or just disheartening, but that just means that I'm I'm starting with lower expectations for it, and I can just kind of go sure. along and have fun. Yeah, and um, yeah, no, like that episode's just so good, it's so good. <laughs> I'm gonna watch that episode now after we're done. Yeah, because you put it in my head. Thanks, Kate. You're welcome, because it's gonna be delightful. Um, yeah. up next we have Bob's Burgers. Go Tina on the mountain, and uh, as you you know, made sure to include here, everything sounds great when you're throwing a hatchet. It does. It's true. I've done it, and I've said some really terrible stuff while doing it, and yet people listen to me. Yeah, Probably yeah. because I was throwing a hatchet. Not very well. <laughs> we haven't uh, checked in on Bob's in the wild, but I thought I feel like it's been really consistent. I, I had a lot of fun with this episode. I liked our uh, random our, our, our structure here with the parents at home feeling really old because they don't want to go out. They just they just want to rest, and yeah. the kids off at camp. Uh, how did this work for you? Yeah, I, I always like when the show splits the kids and um, Bob and uh, Linda up like this, because um, mm. it always yields really good results, I feel like. Like, I think about, like, the Halloween episode where they go to the island, and like, yeah. that episode's fantastic. And it's, it has a similar vibe here. This isn't nearly as good as that episode, uh, King Size Bars or whatever it was, mm -hmm. or Full Size Bars. Um, but the whole arc with uh, Bob and Linda and like, we're too tired. And then they go out and they have a great time. And then it's just like, why is there a middle-aged woman in my bed? It's all the Alfredo gone. It's just like, this is very good. <laughs> Yeah. And so I, I really like that aspect of it. The camp stuff was okay and fine. Um, I'm always here for Tina trying to find like epiphanies and meaning in life because that stuff is always really, really good. And I like that it, it's almost always friendship. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a fine episode. It's just, like you said, the show's just, the show's really consistent. It's eight seasons in and it feels like they can't really dip really i feel like they'll just be really steady for as long as they keep going yeah which hey that's super impressive eight seasons in so uh yeah. keep keep on keeping on boss burgers over at barry we have chapter five do your job we're about halfway through and i'm still really enjoying the show i think it's again the center of it is the performance from bill Hader, who which continues to be really really strong um i i I started to have my first eyebrow raise in this episode with uh, their Leroy Jenkins guy. I don't for a second believe that 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 guy would know about or scream Leroy Jenkins in the context that we saw. And um, that felt just it was so, so completely writerly. 
I, I don't believe that guy says that thing at all. Um, so that has me a little bit skeptical about where we're going next. But I think most of this sh- season has been really, really strong. And I'm here all day <laughs> for whatever craziness is happening with uh, with Henry Winkler, uh, the acting coach, I should say, and the, the cop. Because uh, mm-hmm. it's strange and confusing and uh, uh, just very puzzling but i'm 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 here for it so what how's barry going for you barry's also going really well for me like uh, like you said like hater is the center of this show is so magnetic and Mm -hmm. it's a really strong performance from him um and just like a physicality sort of performance as well like it's just it's just really strong and I can't get over it sometimes is like how sort of captivating it is. Um, your point about the Leroy Jenkins moment is I think really spot on. It does feel really writerly and it does feel one of the things I like I have with this particular episode in terms of this is like, I buy like the crime bosses being sort of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's what they're supposed to be. Cause you need to juxtapose them against Barry's overwhelming sense of professionalism. Um, to add in someone that he also like has to work in the field with, with that kind of a degree of like caricatured machismo slash derangement, I think this is probably a step too far. Um, tonally, I think that there's enough between what Stephen Root's character is doing and doing really well, and what the uh crime the crime guys are doing is enough of a juxtaposition that we don't necessarily need what's his name um, in the field with him. And that's going to be a yeah. thing that's going to be running probably through the rest of the season at this point, since Barry's not willing to kill him. Um, so that's, that's a little, that's, that's a little troubling. So I'm like, but I'm willing, I, in five episodes, I'm willing to give them a little bit of leeway. Yeah. Well, and the, the other thing I'll add is just the crime guys. They're just really funny. Like, yeah, they're that's really, the really funny. Thing. <laughs> and this guy is not funny. He's scary in a very standard sort of, we've seen this kind of, he's very stock mm-hmm. to like continue with like an actor learning trade stuff. He's a very stock character and there's no variation coming from that performance or coming from how that character is being written. Yeah. Uh, speaking of actors, I really appreciate that they have not made Barry a good actor <laughs> and they haven't like had the, you know, um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. They haven't had the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang um, yeah. moment where the the criminal is handed a scene that really relates to their experience, and they are just amazing. At, like they have him do this scene from Macbeth, the out damn spot scene, and like there uh, that sequence in the episode I think is is so strong because yes. everything that comes through in the discussion around it feels so organic and intense yes. and real. But Barry is not an actor. He cannot put that into his performance in the yeah. scene before that. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens with that if they keep that going. But I like that they, at least so far, haven't given him these, like, like maybe one transcendent moment. Like, in the first episode, he gives a little yeah. bit of that. But I really like that they've held back from that. So we'll see yeah. how it develops. But, yeah. And Darcy was- Curtin's very good at being very bad. <laughs> I never want to see that character do Shakespeare ever. I don't want to see any of those people do Shakespeare ever, but <laughs> yeah, it's so nice to have her on our TV, even though we don't have a good place right now. So she's, yeah. she's doing very well over on Atlanta. Uh, Earn not doing too well. Uh, this was a, another strong episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it, you know, it really recenters 
the perception, I think my perception and others maybe perception of the season uh, as being much more Alfred's point of view in his story than Ern's. And I think that recentering is, is, well, it's good, I guess. I don't know. I think the idea that it puts, this episode puts forward is that we're not actually supposed to be rooting for Ern. We're supposed to be rooting for Alfred. And that okay. comes about based on this this one scene on the couch that we get late in the episode. And just this idea that maybe just because it's been told from Ern's point of view. And this is something we've talked about. It's hard to watch him keep screwing up in such significant ways and making such stupid choices that are affecting not only him, but those around him. And um I don't know if it's just because of the structure of the season or a concerted effort um, that has driven the choices of the structure of the season, but I, I is it more creative to keep it a story from Ern's point of view where he is not the protagonist or he's not the hero, or to pivot over to Alfred being the heart and now it's really his story and Ern is a more ancillary character? I don't know which one is, is more interesting or creative because certainly if, if there's pivot over to alfred that's a much more typical way to tell the story but it's also a more satisfying way to tell the story so i'm not sure how i feel about it but this was another very strong episode and another episode that just highlights don't leave atlanta um it's not as scary as the previous ones though so it's, at least we don't oh, have the good. horror for this week but i'm sure we'll talk about atlanta next week next week is the finale yes uh i think so yeah I'm not so- sure i think so We'll have more on it then, then. But uh, let's move on right now to Drag Race. And we had Drag Con panel extravaganza. So first of all, Camille Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon were fabulous as their hosts, uh, guest guest judges, I should say. Um, I loved their little, like, shots to the camera uh, that mm-hmm. they filmed. It was like they were both working that runway, uh, which yeah. was fabulous. And for this episode, the queens had to create a panel for DragCon, which is a, a convention of, about drag that Rue puts on. And um, I know, as we, we've both been on panels, and obviously we record hours and hours and hours <laughs> of podcasting. So I'm guessing this was wheelhouse for you. I know it was for me. How did you think they did? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this was – and I've done, like, academic panels as well, uh, which are a little less – sometimes a little less organized um, in terms of, oh, well, these four papers all sort of go together. They don't, <laughs> but sure, let's all put us on a panel. That's fine. Um, so, so like, yeah, so that related to me though, like the big thing I was having with this with this particular challenge, which I really, really liked was, why wasn't this an all-stars challenge? Mm-hmm. Because it's just like, why, would, why wouldn't you do this with your all-stars sort of thing of like, these are your pros. These are your folks that like, or the creme de la creme sort of sort sort of folks. Um, so I was I was wondering about that because this is a really good I think challenge that requires all the queens to discuss their drag in a way that they have they have to discuss it in a way that is explanatory and accessible and while well, still being entertaining. And I think that's really really hard to do. Is both of us can attest. Um, but also having been to multiple panels on, on anything, it's really difficult to do that period. And so watching them sort of like struggle with that, um, and then watching them just do terrible things like don't split, don't split your audience. Oh, you guys split your audience's attention. No, don't <laughs> split your audience attention like that. It's not a good idea. So I, I really liked it. Um, even if it wasn't like the most exciting or drama filled sort of thing, 
I think it's just a good concept for them to do. And I like that this was pulled out here. Um, So I really enjoyed that aspect of this a great deal, of this episode a great deal. My guess would be that if they gave this challenge to the All-Stars, a lot of them would slam dunk it because they Mm -hmm. would have a lot more experience in this. Um, mm-hmm. That would be my guess. But yeah, I mean, I've also spoken at uh, on, a co- on panels and that are more academic. And I remember the first time I did that, because of course, I was coming from a background of having gone to Comic-Con and podcasting and all of that and being comfortable to a certain extent, interacting yeah. with an audience and, and speaking off the cuff and trying to like, you know, relate everything all together. And I was on a table with people who were academics who did not have that background at all. I just remember being so puzzled by just like people at like 9 a.m. reading on a reading a paper i was like oh you you can't those folks you can't do you can't do that that's not how a panel works (laughs) no that's exactly how an academic panel works kate (laughs) it's not how you should that's not how it should be um so when when they were doing their planning session here and the one team says oh no we don't need a moderator is like oh oh bless your heart you need a moderator this is going to be terrible. And then shock and astonishment, it was terrible. Um, so yeah, because you need structure, you need notes, you need uh, to know, you need to have, if you, like these queens have worked together before, they've been in that workroom, so they should have some sense of each other's rhythms. But you definitely need like to know what's going on and how much time you have. And yeah, it, it was, you know, this is Eureka crushed it she did really really good and deserved that win um and her whole panel worked really well because there was structure and there they did a really good job of building in the combination of actually having information and being comedic they were the funniest panel they were the most uh informed panel and um certainly they did the best of them at responding to the audience questions so yeah and and they had like a perspective which was really important as well which the rest of the group just kind of didn't have yeah um and that was really significant as well because you look at when you're going to consider panels you look at the title Mm-hmm. Um and to see or you look at the guest list it's one of the or one or the other but um if you're looking at the title you need like a hook you need a reason to show up to like get people interested and while you have a captive audience in this case <laughs> um you still need that you still need a concept to unite everyone's ideas around yeah and that uh the live audience was another really effective and important yeah. part of this and this is just a, such a more interesting way to do branding than for example the all-star soup can challenge like this yeah. is as much branding as any other challenge they've done because you need to communicate your sensibilities your sense of humor and your personality to uh that's what the panel is there for it's yes you're talking about whatever topic you're talking about but that's not why you're doing it you're doing it to to sell yourself and to have fun and to to engage with the audience and hopefully walk away with with new fans so um yeah i thought it was a really terrific challenge and i thought the runway was fabulous let's just again compare this runway with last week's this is a much better runway yeah no it's a significantly better runway um and it was just generally a lot stronger um i'm really glad that um cameron is kind of stepping out a little bit mm-hmm. um um i like their perspective and their approach of like 
I like this superhero sort of thing. And I just went, that's really smart and really interesting. And you don't get to hear that a lot. And I'm interested in that as like a perspective, even if the judges are already tired of it, apparently. <laughs> and, but like the hat was really good for, from Cameron and just the hats in general and the, the concepts I thought were just really, really well done. Yeah. The Asia's, oh my God, Asia's thing was just. God, it was really good. Amazing. And you yeah. know, Asia just has to be upset that they were kind of the middling panel because um, mm-hmm. otherwise it's just like I would have won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, the yeah, the other things we should mention about this episode. You mentioned Cameron. I and the watching watching. I'm going to say him because it's out of drag. Come yeah. out of his shell more. Talking about like how he quit drag for for a guy and like it was that was that's the kind of stuff we want to see. From Karen yeah. to get a sense of, of who he is. And I think it's taken way too long, but I'm glad we're getting there where, where he's actually opening up and letting people yeah. get a sense of him a bit. And the producers uh, are also running out of people to cover. So There's that. But <laughs> <laughs> I certainly appreciate that. And I think we obviously have to mention Blair and uh, her coming forward with her trauma and her story of uh of surviving sexual assault and um i can't imagine how because again she's 21 right she's 21 so i can't imagine having that that strength to to come out with that on national television and you know and talks talking about how she had never actually used the word rape before to describe what had happened to her to him and um yeah, that's it was it was very powerful and while it 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 seemed a little bit to me like Blair knew that this might be their last week on the show yep. and they had decided like whether this was an attempt to try to like add more drama to their story so they stick around or more or more specifically like I promised myself I was going to talk about this on the show mm-hmm. to to help other people. So this might be my last week, so I'm going to make sure I bring it up now. Um, yeah. Whatever the motivation was, um, I think it was still a powerful statement and something that, I mean, took a lot of guts. And I applaud, I'm going to say him, for having that strength. Yeah, no, everything you just said in Cosine. Like, it was a very powerful moment mm-hmm. um, for the show to show. And yeah, yeah, I'm I'm loath to ascribe any sort of cynical motivation to this. Um mm-hmm. So as I am, as you know, want to do on reality editing, yeah, um, yeah. but I, I, I don't feel like that's the case here. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was just, it was a really good moment and really sort of like the standout sort of like emotional moment in the episode. Definitely. Um, what wins your week in comedy and reality? Um, it's a good question. Um, there's some other good stuff this week. Um, I mean, I guess I could just give it to the Jane finale. I guess. Maybe. Yeah. No. Um, um, I did enjoy Brooklyn Nine-Nine and uh, Amy running through with a wedding dress was really, really good. <laughs> um, but I think I'll give it to Barry this week. Um, it was a, it was an overall like good episode. Um, but yeah, I'll give it to Barry this week. What about you? I'm going to give it to the Jane finale. Uh, more okay. on that when we get there. Uh, but uh, shout out to, to uh, Drag Race as well. The level of the queens in the season ten. We're getting to snatch game next week, but like the last several queens eliminated, I would have loved to see their their snatch game because I feel like they would have done a really good job. So yeah, <sighs> looking forward to that next week. Uh, now we'll take a break and listen to a little music and come back with our week in genre. 
this week in genre, we're going to talk a little bit about the Into the Badlands premiere, and then I'll talk briefly about Legion before we go over to Steven Universe pool hopping and Supergirl in search of lost time. So first up, we have Into the Badlands, which came back for its season three premiere, Enter the Phoenix. I watched most of season one, none of okay. season two, and right. I watched this premiere, so I did tried to do a little Googling of like, what you need to know to watch these, and no articles came up. No, because no one's watching this show. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I was a little lost, but not too bad. You, you know me, I'll I was also a little lost. Don't feel bad. Okay. Um, I was really glad when they're just like, by the way, there's been a six month time skip. And I just went, oh, this explains a great deal. <laughs> Thank you for telling me 30 minutes into the episode that there's been a six month time skip. Because um, I was very confused by what was happening initially with that little raid on the um, widow's vans. Mm-hmm. I, was just, I know that things broke, but this happened very quickly. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, what did you think, like, coming into this? Uh, especially considering, like, the big opening duel um, is is a character from the second season that you yeah. have, like, no connection to. Yep. Um, <laughs> it was a badass fight scene. I was like, okay, I'll just mm-hmm. go along with that. Like, because that's my memory of, of this show, is that there's a lot of style and a lot of high-concept design and certainly... Yeah tremendous artistry in the the fight scenes and the the stunt coordination and all of that um and you just gotta go with it she's doing this insane duel in stilettos of course it's ridiculous but (laughs) and they keep emphasizing it too which is what i really loved it's just like there's so many tight close-ups on the the heels yeah in that fight and it's just like this is very good we get it but this is very good yeah yeah (laughs) so i just had fun with it i thought it was uh i thought it was good and um the I think centering everything again on on Sunny at least for me the emotional emotional center of this is Sunny and that baby so um, yeah. I I thought that stuff worked like Gangbusters I enjoyed Nick Frost he was a season two addition as well right yes he was yeah yeah but I feel like I know that character already it's <laughs> you you do know that character already <laughs> and I'm here for it I think it's a good addition to the show and and a needed source of levity in the first yes. season so it's it's fun that that character seems uh, pretty. Like, like if I had to guess, that character's going to be around and survive through everything. And I think that's And he's, he's a super competent fighter, too, is the other <laughs> thing. Like, they don't let him fight until towards the end of the second season. Um, and you can just tell Nick Frost is just like, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I think that was kind of the thing I sort of realized while I was watching this premiere was the fact that it's just like, I really need to not get hung up on the actual stories and narrative of this show mm-hmm. because I will just get upset yeah. or I will just feel like I don't understand what you guys are doing right now. Um, and that's a mistake to make with this show of like, okay, yeah, none of this makes any sense. And I'm definitely not here for all the demon possessed and mm-hmm. super powered black eye type stuff that come is going to come much more to the forefront with uh, Lorraine Toussaint. Mm-hmm. It is like, I'm just like, oh, hello, I forgot you were going to be in this season. I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. But also, hi. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the least, and all the stuff with MK is like the least interesting thing about this show to me. But um, the spectacle of like the stunt coordination and the fight scenes, but also just like on a costuming level, this show is always really, really impressive looking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just need to engage in the spectacle. It's not going to be something I like turn to every week immediately. Um, but it's really good sort of, I need to do something else type of television. And if I just tune in when there's a fight scene, I'm happy. 
And so I think that's sort of the best way to approach it because they do do really good, fun things with their fight scenes. Is I think this episode demonstrates in all three of its big set pieces. Yeah. Well, and this just reminded me that, you know, last year we did our best of the year and I hadn't seen... I think I, I vaguely remember even maybe saying something about that. Like, I didn't watch Into the Badlands. It probably had the best fight scenes of the year, but... <laughs> yeah. And I watched it and just went, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so what it's doing really well it's doing really well and mm-hmm. I, it's, it does seem to me jumping from season one to season three that they have uh shuffled things around to highlight their assets and yeah. you know draw attention away focus away from the weak points even if they should have just killed the stupid kid yeah but you can't it's not possible i don't know yeah still you know anyways like it's it, no shade on the kid, but it's just, it's that, that character, I really, really don't care about that character. And what the little we see in this season, like, oh, they made him less interesting, but they gave him yes. way less time. So I'm down for that. Yeah. And he's paired with the Widow, which is like a good sort of thing, yeah. because the Widow is a really great character to pair him with. Yeah. Whereas he's been paired with just really not great characters for the most of the run of the show. Mm-hmm. So putting him with the Widow is a good idea. It's a smart idea. Yeah. Any other thoughts on Into the Badlands? No, tell me about Legion and why I should still not be watching Legion. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode, Chapter 12, um, I wanted to, to mention because they st- spend the whole episode inside Sid's mind and her memories. And they, you know, basically it's like a loop where um, Daniel has to try to figure out, she's trying to teach him a lesson or something or, or show him her perspective on the world based on, you know, her experiences. And he, he, we watch him try to understand her. And uh, each time we go back to the same scene. So like, it's like a set, like five minutes or something like string of, of events. And then he sees it again. And the perspective is a little different. And he sees it again. The perspective is a little different, that kind of stuff. And there's some scenes added in, some scenes taken out and it's, you don't know if it's her choosing to show show him more accurate things or his uh his like pedestaling of her uh being, you know, adjusted and, you know, taken away, stripped away. But um I don't know that the I buy the ending, which is something I know um friend of the show Alison Shoemaker has expressed as well. Uh but I don't know if I buy the conclusion we're supposed to. But what was the conclusion? I'm I'm curious. Oh, just I'm that I'm not going to watch this. So no, no, no. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> just that because uh, we've seen over the course of the episodes um, times where uh, she has lashed out at others or uh, made mistakes or uh, taken advantage, like or or undergone trauma, um, yeah. being bullied at school and then acting out because of that, like that kind of stuff. Um, the 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 big one of the biggest parts of the episode is something that we already knew about from season one, which was her first sexual experience was when she traded bodies with her mom and, and and went to have sex with her mom's boyfriend. And we are, and we, so we see that. um, And that is, so when that is such a climax, it's played almost like it's supposed to be a surprise, but we, but we know that this happened. So I don't think that that necessarily worked as well um, as they, wanted it to at least for me but the the conclusion that he's supposed to draw from all this is that um 
love is precious, but love won't save them. They have to save love. Um, it's like, so it's not love will conquer all. It's not like overcoming your baggage or being defined by your baggage, but it's the sense that pain makes you strong. And then, and because you've gone through that pain, you are strong. And then that will, that is why they will be able to save the day. And they'll have, they have to save love rather than love saving them. Um, but it didn't really, it didn't really come together for me. It, it, It felt a little clever. Um, you're trying really, to surprise. Feeling a little clever and trying to surprise. <laughs> Gee. Yeah. Again, it's like the I don't know that you're as smart as you think you are, um, which is a consistent problem I have with the episode. But I appreciate them going for something different and for yeah. really centering in on Sydney and showing her perception of herself, which I think is an important thing for the show to do and one that they certainly haven't done in a meaningful way to this point. So uh, a lot of excellent style. Lily Rabe shows up as as her mom. Uh, always love Lily Rabe. And um, yeah, so I just wanted to mention it because I thought it was, you know, I like that they're doing some things different over there on Legion in, in this season. Um, speaking of things a little different, Steven Universe had pool hopping and we got another Garnet Steven episode and it was just delightful. And then it had this really lovely emotional core. And this is the, one of my favorite episodes in quite a long time. I really like this episode. I mean, what's not to like about an episode in which Garnet gets covered in kittens? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's probably going to be everyone's favorite thing. <laughs> No, so I, I also really, really enjoyed this episode. Basically, just again, like you were saying, I'm like the strong emotional core of the episode is really, really strong in that Garnett is trying to, Garnett is trying to better hone her future vision. And because she's a lot of things are happening that she's un she has not anticipated. And all of it is because Stephen is growing up, Stephen is maturing, Stephen is making choices that he would not make, and that despite Garnett having a great deal of wisdom to offer is still conceptualizing him in that old way and isn't adjusting her expectations of Steven. So I really like that. This is very much a, I need to grow with you sort of episode um, from Garnett's perspective of like, you're challenging me and I need to be better so I can help you be the best you. And this in turn helps me be a better me. And so it's one of the, like, cornerstones of, like, Steven and, like, something that's great about the show. But it was also, like, when the show sort of shuffles into mythology can sometimes get a little lost. Um, Not saying that it's, like, a harsh criticism, but because I do like when the show gets into the mythology. (laughs) But that sometimes that just loses a little bit of it loses a little bit of air without that. And pool hopping is a really good way to recenter that emotional core. And I really, really appreciated that. Even if I do feel like we've been way too long without a Pearl episode. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it has been quite a while. Um, and there's some like, depending on where they go with this stuff we were theorizing last time, there's yeah. there's a lot <laughs> they could do. Yeah, there's so much that they can do with that. But yeah, so I, it was just a really good episode. And then there's a kitty with a missing eye. And the kitty is looking at the very cute, very cute kitty. Yeah, I look forward to seeing that kitty more. Um, the, you know, as someone who's who works with kids and who theoretically, you know, like my first one of my first students I had when I started teaching um, after grad school um, studied with me for like 
five or six years. So I, you know, watched him grow from a sixth grader to a senior, and he's off in college now. And and I've had a few students that I had that I had that long, and it's, you know, granted I'm just a music teacher. I see them once a week, but it's just so remarkable to watch them grow. And to to think about where they came from and the ways they stay exactly the same and the ways they change. And obviously, it's very different if it's your kid or if it's your 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 ward, <laughs> as I maybe we would say for Garnet with with Stephen. But I love the introspection and the maturity of this episode and what it says and that they're that they make this whole episode about that. And it's we get those scenes every now and again on dramas where the parent goes like, you're growing up or something like that. But this wasn't that. It was yeah. it was such a original and thoughtful and lovely way to have that kind of a conversation, not around like, you're changing, you're different, but I haven't been adjusting myself to you yeah. and it's, it's a framing it around that rather than like they are no longer what they were and they're changing but it's like of course they're changing and growing the the issue was that you shouldn't expect she she shouldn't have been expecting him to not change and some of that might also be just the difference between humans and gems with their yeah. lifespan too yeah um, absolutely so I just thought it was lovely, and that scene in the in the rain was just I love that Garnet can be that vulnerable with Stephen mm-hmm. and, and is willing to be yeah. that vulnerable. And just again, like I said with Adventure Time, when I first started watching it, and I say it with Stephen Universe, it just makes me happy that there are kids out there. Though apparently it's not the cool show anymore for the kids, but there are young people out there who started watching the show when they were kids, who this show is shaping who they are. And I, I, I love that this is the kind, of, kind of a message that they are seeing. And it's the kind of, uh, I think, mentor and, and influence that we should all aspire to be in the lives of the young people around us. So, Stephen Universe, Wait, you're so lovely. What's, what's the cool show with kids now? I don't know, but but apparently Steven Universe is like so X years ago. Okay. Yeah. That's sad. That is. So I, I hear lovely things about lots of shows. Apparently we, we should have been watching Star vs. the Forces of Evil like years ago. That's also no longer yeah. the hot, cool show. Okay. Yeah, and we should have been doing We Bear Bears, and I'm almost yeah. caught up on We Bear Bears, and it's very good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Listeners, you know. let us know what the hot, cool shows are. Yeah, yeah. Tell us, because I mean... We don't change our expectations sometimes. <laughs> I I am an old, so yeah. uh, I need I need the the youth to tell me. The, most of my students just they don't watch TV at all. They they just watch yeah. YouTube. So yeah, yeah. And I ask them for like series recommendations. They're like, no, I mostly just watch people playing video games. I'm like, that's not helpful. So yeah, I don't know. You really should have done like a really good Twitch stream. Uh, hey. Last year. Some of us did watch Twitch before there was Twitch, meaning I spent many an hour in my childhood watching my brothers play Zelda. Totally different. Totally different. Not totally different. Not totally different at all. <laughs> Yelling at the TV while they're playing a video game. I, I feel like it counts. We're getting off topic. We need to get back to our weekend genre because we got to talk Supergirl in search of lost time. And now I have not yet sought out reactions from the uh, the Supercore people on this episode, but I have like, I have to think that they 
like I feel like they must have loved what we finally get to see Kara say to Monel. It's like you are an entire entitled jerk, and like I apologized to you when you were a jackass to me. Like all of the stuff that people have been screaming at their TVs about Monel for a long time um, comes tumbling out of Kara here, and um, yeah, but it's couched in psychic rage. But it, I think that I, I don't know. For me, it's couched in psychic rage, obviously, but it comes from a true place, and. And I like that the show acknowledges that, and Supergirl, Kara acknowledges that. Like, yeah, I wouldn't have actually ex- verbalized this, but this is how I was feeling, and this is where I was coming from, and and it this was within me. I just wasn't acknowledging it. Um, so yeah. also this, slash the writers were not acknowledging it. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, totally, absolutely. That's because that I, wasn't I, coming through in a writing or performance level last year so i don't know where this is coming from no but sure we'll we'll take this retcon guys i'll i'll take i will happily take this retcon um i just really hope they're not super set on uh caramel for endgame because you don't i don't get to establish a new wife and then have us root for our hero to get back together with her ex. Even but my if, new wife is hiding secrets. Yeah, well, my, my new wife is curiously off screen because we don't want to pay her for this episode. Um, so, yeah, I thought this episode was, uh, like, all the stuff with Mern and with Jean was terrific. Uh, very on the nose, but hey, I don't care because it was very well done. I loved the stuff we got with Kyler Lee and uh, David Hairboard. I, th- I thought that, like, together, their stuff was really great. And, you know, I'm here for Alex, you know, and, and Space Dad bonding all the time. And for me, it might have taken us too long. It might be retcon. As long as they don't use this as a pivot towards a future reconciliation, I'm down with what we got here from from Kara. And I also really liked what we got with Rain and, and Lena, yeah, the Rain and Lena stuff I thought was really, really good. Um, and I liked how that played out mm-hmm. in terms of um, Rain being, well, not Rain, um, the civilian Sam. version of Rain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going like, I didn't do anything. And then Lena was just being like, okay, let's just test that hypothesis, shall we? <laughs> and then I'll just play you back the fake news video clip. Um mm-hmm. And then realizing, like, how very dangerous Rain is within her. And I just, I really liked how that was playing out. Um, I got very annoyed by the whole James. Well, I bought you dinner. Mm-hmm. Just like, James, just go away. Just go away. <laughs> Nobody wants you here right now. Just go no. away. Um, so, yeah, I, I was I was glad to have Lena back. I was glad to have that follow-up on that storyline. Even though, I mean, it feels, the show's been off forever. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, like, Lena wasn't in last week's episode um, because they had, like, win stuff to do. But it was, I was, I was glad to have that stuff. And like you said, everything with Myrne and John was just really, really good. Yes, it was on the nose, but it was really, really well executed um, and really, like, emotionally impactful was, like, the big thing with it of, like, okay, we haven't seen Carl Lumley a lot, but... We've seen him enough, and also he's that good of an actor, and David Harewood's that good of an actor, that you can do this with not a great deal of foundational work and make it feel really emotionally poignant and um, that the degree to which that Mern is desperately not wanting to do this um, it's just really great and really it, it's really good science fiction fantasy allegorical type stuff that I really really liked 
Yeah. Um, so that's those, everything that was happening with, I'm going to teach you cape tricks. And it's just like, I don't care. It's cool, <laughs> but I don't care. Um, so just let's, let's just stay in that. Let's just stay in the Luther bunker. And mm. also let's have our two, our two Martian dads, um, sort this out. Yeah. I do like, I, I don't get me wrong. I am not on board the Lena and James thing, but I do like that they are actively making him an awesome boyfriend. Like, very respectful. Sure. And yeah, very, sure. like, you know, like, you do you. And, like, that is not the kind of thing this show has done well in the past. So. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. At least there's that. Um, What wins your weekend genre? Well, I just want to give a brief shout out because the episode itself was not particularly good or inventive. Um, but Fury Road had Wentworth Miller for potentially the last time in the foreseeable future playing a Leonard start of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very sad. I'm glad that they left that door open, but oh, he's so good. And in he he's done such a good job of making a like Leonard Snart's transition feel really organic, but then differentiating Leo Snart in this way of like, he's got all the snarkiness of <laughs> Leonard Snart, but he genuinely cares about every single human being he's ever met <laughs> and wants them to be better. And that's just really, really lovely. Um, so I guess what wins my week is Wentworth Miller's performance. <laughs> um, but as like an overall episode, I'll give it to pool hopping. Uh, what about you? Yeah, definitely Steven Universe. Warms the cockles of my heart. So lovely. Thank you, Steven Universe. Uh, and I'll take a break and come back with our week in drama. That was Woman's Work, uh, which was featured in the premiere of The Handmaid's Tale. We're going to talk Handmaid's Tale, June, and on women. Then we'll go over to Killing Eve, Don't I Know You? I'll talk briefly about the Americans, the Great Patriotic War, before we go over to The Good Fight, Day 457, and wrap things out with The Terror and Mercy. So first up is The Handmaid's Tale, um, June, and on women. So I've seen the first six. I reviewed this over at Consequence of Sound. Um, so you guys can go check out my thoughts there. But we're going to keep this to just the first two episodes. You've watched both the first two episodes uh, i'm gonna start out let's start off with women's work by kate bush so we i was the first in the in the first season initially very excited about the musical cues and then very quickly we are both over it how was this really prominent music cue for you did it work had we have enough like time away from handmaid's tale or did it bother you it was fine um i i think like time away is what made a difference mm-hmm. um for its effectiveness 
Um, so yeah, no, it was fine. Um, yeah, it was fine. I okay. wasn't like knocked over by it or anything in particular, but it was it it it, it worked well within the context of this episode. Yeah, I thought so too. And um, yeah, I also attribute it to the the time away. Um, yeah. I think that they there are some adjustments in the second season that feel very deliberate. And for me, one of them is the use of music, which I think is much better in the second season. There are still, you know, like, especially over the credits, there's, there's some prominent song choices, but they, and I read this in my review, they, they ditched the, like the rah, rah, power ballad sisterhood stuff. Um, and, and sort of critique that in this premiere as being very empty and, and false. And I, for me, it's like they found a way to make season two darker than season one. Congratulations. I didn't know that you could, but it, it feels more honest to me at the same time because it's like it felt so facile. And uh, like if all it takes is one brief conversation with one other handmaid, and all of a sudden you're like you got your posse strolling down the street, then I don't really believe the threat of Gilead. So as as dark and intense as the start, certainly of the episode, but just of the season is. Um, I think it helps, I think it helps the rest of the show when we see just, like, no, Moira got out easy. Like, the fact that she managed to escape and Luke, they were very lucky. Yeah. Like, that was a fluke. That is not how it's going to be for June. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that was helpful, um, in establishing, like you said, that Gilead as, like, a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like the system itself as a threat, um, which is something that is contained within the house in this first season, but because of like the house, the house's own internal politics, there's a buffer and now there's no buffer and you, you just have to deal with it. And I think that that's, that's really useful, um, for the show's overall sort of tone and point and based on like what you just said, but also what I've talked about with a couple of other people about the show continuing into this season of like, oh yeah, no, things get really, really terrible very, very quickly for our people mm-hmm. um, is like the extent of my knowledge of this. Um, and so that's that's good to know because it's just like, you're not you're not protected by the commander really anymore to a certain extent. And I think that's really interesting. And like, I also just really enjoy that opening on a sort of like character character reintroduction level of yeah. Lydia because and Dow just comes striding oh. onto Fenway and it's yeah. so good. Yeah. Um I could I really could not get over how just really powerfully like they reintroduced Lydia in that moment. And I mean, I was like, okay, are we are we going to kill Elizabeth Moss cuz no, you're not, but Maybe, but maybe, maybe. <laughs> but maybe. I mean, I, I, I would much rather like maybe watch a show spearheaded by Samira Wiley with this. But, um, I like that it was just a really good moment, and again, it reemphasizes the dangers and everything. And then throughout the rest of um, June and Unwomen to a lesser extent, um, even though Un- Unwomen has its own set of things happening. It's just, it's a really good reintroduction into the overall society, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. Yeah. The shot of Ann Dowd ringing the bell in oh, just, God. like, ecstatic fervor. Yeah. It's just, like, it's so amazing. Um, yeah, both of these episodes' uses of ropes 
mm-hmm. are just really interesting. And I'm really eager to see if that continues as the season progresses because they're doing some really inter- they're doing some really heavy emphasis on ropes right yeah. now. And yeah. I'm really interested in seeing how that continues. Yeah. Or does it continue? I'm going to say nothing on that. But what I will say okay. is that I loved the use of Fenway. Yeah. And then having her be at the Boston Globe. Yeah. Is, again, the, like that very the specificity of it. And I don't know if that's the real Boston Globe, but I know it looks just like it did in the post. <laughs> um, so so the specificity of the of, of that location, because, you know, in, in the in the novel, like the wall that they walk past is Harvard. You know, like yeah. there, there's a lot of specificity to it. And, and we were missing that. At least I was in season one. And then in season two here to have Fenway and then the Boston Globe, these these big landmarks um, really emphasizes, no, this was America and not that long ago. Not that yeah. long. Um, I think season one has like elements of that, but it's like really played down. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the location type stuff is, I think, less present and like you're saying it's much more aggressive here yeah that dips as the season continues but i for me it it still was really really effective in in these first two episodes um and yeah i hope because again it just shows how how tentative the institutions in this world were you know or are i think the flashbacks we didn't necessarily need them as much but you know having you know, in the current, I kept coming back to, and I didn't put this in my review, but I kept coming back to the first season of the show was made when likely the writers assumed Clinton was going to win. Mm-hmm. And the second season of the show was made after Trump won. And with the, the, just what the last year has been politically and socially in America, in America. And I really was feeling that difference. Um, between the two and that's very possibly just my politics of bleeding into my interpretation but um yeah the 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 emphasis on how quickly like that like like because you i don't know about you but like i've seen those pictures in like spain of the 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 bullet holes during the spanish civil war you know and and walls and stuff and so to include that at the Boston Globe and this this space that was recently featured in the post and we've seen that space in other in other public in other media as well yeah. like to to marry those two is really powerful for me so um yeah i think they're doing a lot of stuff right the visuals continue to be you know there's at least a couple amazing shots each episode visually very striking um let's talk a little bit about episode two i did not anticipate to have that alex spladell would be as prominent as she is i love that we got a flashback for her i thought it was fine um i was a lot more engaged in um sort of like what was happening actually at the colonies camp Mm -hmm. and was more interested in exploring that aspect including surprise cameo by marissa tomei um and but also surprise cameo by claire duvall yeah and um both of those sort of like continuing like surprise bits of casting like what lost in space does um with parker po- the woman who plays parker posey's sister mm-hmm. um did you watch that by the way no but it was spoiled for me by someone also oh. trying to be very vague about it but in the opposite way <laughs> they, said oh, that they okay. say the name of the person and they're like and you'll never believe who they're playing and i was like <laughs> yes i will because you just like accidentally like filled in the connected a dot yeah but that fabulous casting 
yeah, no, it, it was very good. So I, I like those that kind of an, that kind of part of this particular episode. I didn't necessarily need the length of that flashback, really. Um, I think I would have just been satisfied with the. I I know that we needed like the context for them to like run to the airport and everything, but I think that the whole core of that flashback is just during the Logan International sequence, and that's really mm-hmm. all I really really needed. Um, but I still really liked how much of it was there in terms of like, we're catching up with this character and finding out what, like what's going on. And also like her, she keeps searching for June to show up. And mm-hmm. I, I really like that kind of tension that's happening within her life on top of, you know, casually poisoning someone. <laughs> um, so I like that. So I'm I'm sure we'll get more of that, but I'm also just increasingly just like, but but you guys have Samira Wiley on the show. Why wasn't she in your second episode? And that kind of a thing of like that the hurry up and wait, you have this really good actor that you totally aren't using as effectively yet. Um so I'm I'm waiting for that sort of thing to come in because I love her and I really like that character. Um, so yeah, so I, I think it's a really strong sort of stuff, um, set up for the first, for the first bit f- for the show coming back. Mm-hmm. It's getting hard to talk, Kate. Um, so <laughs> there's, yeah. There's some more excellent casting headed your way. Um, I thought that Samir Wiley was in the second episode, so clearly it is blurred in my memory, but she is going to be back. And uh, I will... I feel very okay spoiling you for the fact that Luke is barely in the first six. He's there. Yes! But not a lot. And also, just because people may have heard Bradley Whitford's going to be in the season, he is not in the first six. So don't be looking for him. Don't be waiting for him. I'm At some point, he's going to pop up, but not yet in the first six. So we'll see what happens with that, any other thoughts on Handmaid's Tale or any things to talk about? Or shall we move on to Killing Eve? No, let's move on to Killing Eve. Because um, Don't I Know You was just a really, really good episode of television, I thought. Yes. However, did yeah. they need to give Bill a baby just to kill him? I mean. No, they did not need to give baby uh, Bill a baby just to kill him. I wasn't particularly happy about that. No. Yeah. Other, you know, I, I liked a lot of the other stuff we got with, with, uh, with them. I liked... Um, I like the the stuff about him and his wife and their partnership and and his uh he, him being a guest by, um, um which gets introduced in an interesting way like that's the kind of thing that they wouldn't have to that a lot of shows wouldn't have included but I like that they did um I liked the trips down memory lane and I, I thought that for such an obvious thing to do to, you know, to fridge a character to motivate our protagonist. I thought that they did it in a really good way. They earned the progression for Bill and they, they really showed the ways that he, like, obviously he was brutally murdered, but the ways that he like allowed that to happen, you know, he should have known better and him, Right. Five years ago, or when he was in the field more regularly, that wouldn't have happened. Um, yeah. So I thought that was really good. And uh, I'm super looking forward to whatever whatever comes next. Having, again, Vianelle, Vianneuve, or whatever her name is, the assassin, be so focused in on Eve right away, I think, is a smart move. And we'll see what happens next. But, yeah, I was, you know... 
dude, Bill, don't go into the crowded nightclub. Come on. Yeah, no, that's like that's that's that is chasing a chasing an assassin 101. Do not go into the crowded German nightclub. Just don't do it. It's a bad idea. Just no. Mm-hmm. No. Um yeah, no, I totally agree that it's it's really mean to give us all these really lovely details about Bill and then be like, "Oh, by the way, stabity stab stab stab." Um yeah. type of thing and it's v- it was very frustrating and very sad for me. But at the same time, like you said, it just feels really motivated by how very excited he is to be back in the field. And he's not behind a desk. He's he's mixing it up with his old contacts. He's reminiscing about old times with a police uh, German police detective and like relaying some stuff that he probably has just never been able to share with um, Eve before. And so, like, I like all of this sort of stuff coming in coming into play right before we kill him. Um, and that makes me very sad because I really liked Bill a lot and I like David Haig a lot too. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's David Haig. Um, so it was, it was, it was sad and I, I understand that we needed to like really motivate Eve to like want to do this, but that degree of like curiosity of just about, I don't necessarily know that we needed a personal avenging reason to go after, um, Villanelle. But, um, okay, we've got it. And Mm. it it should be, at the very least, really interesting. And so I'm willing to give them, like, this degree of leeway to cover that ground um, going forward. Um, Yeah, there was something else about this episode that I wanted to mention, and I can't think about what it is now. Well, one thing I wanted to mention was I I saw some discussions on Twitter about the shooting of the last scene, and we should shout out just how challenging it is to actually coordinate so that we can actually see her between all the bo- there's so many people so yeah. how do you get your extras to window in the right way so that you can see her face without that being obvious um so shout out to the the production the direction and the just the the production team for making that work yeah yeah no i saw those two and that was really really good um does not answer what my point was going to be but meh it's okay <laughs> well i'm sure we'll be talking more about killing you yeah. you know for the rest of its its first season over at the americans i wanted to ch- check in with the great patriotic war this is the halfway point of the final season and you can feel it you can feel it because there's some serious stuff that goes down but i love that in the world of the americans the serious stuff that goes down is a phone call and Philip fighting his daughter, like, who's just, Paige is way too big for her britches, and she thinks she's such hot shit because she's this, like, spy or whatever, Um, and her dad, you know, he's not into it, he doesn't, like, believe in that, and that's okay, he's, you know, he couldn't hack it, <laughs> so it's just, it's just awesome because he goes over to talk to her about something, and she, like, does some line about like you know i get that you know that's not really your thing like like it is for me and mom because we're so great and he's like oh that's cute okay come at try to try to fight me and he just like he's like but we don't have pads like well you know what they don't have pads in the real world so mm-hmm. you, you're you're gonna you're not gonna hurt me i'll be fine <laughs> and and just smacks her down's like you've got <laughs> you have so much to learn like are you kidding me with this? Maybe, maybe 
check your attitude a little bit. I get that you went took a philosophy 101 class, but like it feels very much like that. Um and it's uh th- that scene and along with so many other things that have it was just a really eventful episode with such tremendous stakes for what is coming. Um it, by the before the end and I hope people make it out alive. <laughs> Two people got killed in this episode, but fortunately, the kid didn't have to get killed, so that's nice. There's this family that uh, people who who turned from Russia to the U.S. that that Elizabeth um, went to to kill the the guy, but then the the wife was there, and that connects in with the Stan Beeman character, and so we're, that's hurtling, that's really pushing um, Elizabeth and Stan to an inevitable confrontation, and who knows what happens if Paige finds out that Stan their family friend for her whole life is a mark and always has, but you know, like she still has these, has a very curated glimpse of what they do and why they do it. And like, she believes her mom that this guy that she went to meet killed himself and she, and the mom tried to stop him. And that's why the mom was covered in blood. Hey, you're much smarter than that. I thought you were much smarter than that. She's very willfully stupid about this stuff. (laughs) And that's part of what, you know, the stuff with, you know, Philip watching this as well. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so it's, it's been incredibly compelling. It was a really strong episode and, um, I'm sure I'll chime in again before the end of the season. I just had to, to give it a nod because man, they, they like, they have Philip worn, one of his marks not to go like basically give her a not too subtle tip subtle tip off not to go when she's in Greece don't go to any communist country for any reason Mm -hmm. you know and he was supposed to get her arrested in Bulgaria with drugs so that she could be um uh hostaged for leverage on her father who works in like the state department and he just he's he's gonna do it and then he decides not to by the end of the episode and that's the phone call uh, that I mentioned, and it's just like that decision just that shakes the foundations of everything that we know. So it's go. It, sounds, it looks like this last season is going from a passive um, Philip observing what Elizabeth's doing to actively working against her and Russia's interests. Of course, he's working for a different set of Russian interests, so he's not working for the United States or anything. But yeah, it's just these factions within Russia fighting mm-hmm. for supremacy and it's just oh man it's it's compelling stuff so <sighs> less compelling is the good fight day 457 however i did like this episode and it's fake news and having done some reading about this software that's out there where you can and they featured this earlier in the season on the good fight where you can make anyone's voice say anything there's like yeah. software out there that can do that that's getting pretty good and there's like the video version of that is not that far away. Um, I appreciated their the the good fights take on like the fake news Facebook stuff. I thought it was it, like they've done a pretty good job with all of that this season. I think, but I thought this one really stood out for me as as particularly strong. Right, and the Kings have a track record of handling like this sort of like technologies type stuff really well, and they explain micro targeting very very well here, mm-hmm. and in a way that's very easy to understand and in a way that makes sense. Um, I and I like this episode um, as well. Um, I was talking to my friend Danielle a little bit about the good fight, and I just it's good. It's completely inessential right now, but it's good. 
And that's sort of where I am. I mean, even to the point where it's just like, Alan Alda is very, very good in this episode. But I yeah. also realized really, really quickly, it was just like, oh, this feels like it was supposed to be Lewis Canning. Hmm. And you just went with, you couldn't get Michael J. Fox because he was probably doing Designated Survivor or who knows what. And then it was, because all of this sort of stuff, including like the theatric, some of the theatricality of... All the this performance, the cane, um, the shaking hands, um, and everything, plus the whole, I don't know what you're talking about, we don't have anything to do with this, just felt very canning to me. Um, so a lot of that was also just like, well, I'm glad that we're getting it through Alan Alda, because Alan Alda's great, but it was just like, I've seen this trick from you guys with this kind of a character before, and... I'm not moved by it. It would have been, I think, more interesting if either it had been canning or if it had been someone less theatrical within court. Hmm. Um, but it's still it's still a really good explanation, again, of micro-targeting um, and how that functions. And so that, I think, works really well in the episode. Um, what works less well is the fact that they continue to character assassinate Kurt, um, yeah. which is just awful and horrible and i mean i know that they started this in the good wife basically the finale but they're just carrying it over and just really tripling down on it it's really really annoying um and i'm not compelled by whatever tim matheson's character is supposed to be stirring up in diane um so it's just it's really frustrating watching them just sort of isolate diane in really uninteresting ways Mm -hmm. and Having her, like, go back to the bartender to get some more mushrooms um, for microdosing is just also really boring at this point already. Um, So I'm I'm struggling with, like, a lot of, like, some of the larger, like, character stuff that they're doing this this season so far. Um, Even if some of the cases are, I think, a little stronger um, than they were last year. Uh, Though nothing's come close to the... We're going to talk about Law and Order doing a Trump episode without then not airing it. And like mm-hmm. that was like high point, good fight to- sort of stuff. But this is still pretty good. Yeah. Um, I hear where you're coming from with the Alan Alda character. For me, that character needs to be a senior citizen for them to pull the well, technology. I don't even what is Facebook kind mm-hmm. of thing. But I, I do see where you're coming from with that. And um yeah, you know where I'm at with the Diana and Kurt and microdosing yeah, stuff. Yeah, I do. Um, are you excited about the PP tape episode, which is next week? No, I'm not. I feel like that's a little too aggressive mm-hmm. um, fiction sort of stuff. Um, so I'm not really looking forward to that in any way, shape, or form. All, but you know, if they get the PP tape stuff, then like the DNC is going to be like, yes, please, please come and re- <laughs> come and impeach Trump with us, please. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even though they've already drafted Audrey McDonald to do that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see if we have thoughts on that next week. But let's move on to the terror and a mercy. And oh uh, boy, yeah. Read what you have in your notes about this. I what I wrote here was this episode is not fucking around because it is not. Um, you know I haven't read the book that this is based on. This show is based on, but I did Wikipedia because I was curious. And this is a the the episode features you know the the two boats are stuck in the ice up, you know trying to find the Northwest Passage and they're running out of food and the food they do have is all like the cans are bad so they've been eating lead this whole time for years and um 
And they are, finally, uh, we <laughs> Tobias Menzies has come to the conclusion that uh, Jared Harris was right the whole time, and they're going to have to walk out of out of there. So to to kind of one last hurrah to get everybody like psyched up, they do an all, all night carnival, which was super impressive. I gotta say that was like it was super it was super impressively put together. It was also massively horrific. Yes, it was that in the in the show a one of their characters who has gone crazy with the lead poisoning i feel like is a safe way to guess where that's coming from um yeah. lights everything on fire and tries to kill them all including himself yeah. Uh, yeah, in the book the, there's yeah, just some friendly fire yeah okay. which is nowhere near cinematic or compelling so no that is significantly less compelling so that was a very good choice yeah it was a very good choice to make no this entire episode's deeply deeply disturbing on just any number of levels Mm -hmm. um but mostly within that carnival is just it's it's understandably sort of debaucherous but at some point it takes like a weird oh we're we're doing things to the guy whose head is peeled open and isn't really conscious oh we're doing other weird things this is getting this is a little much fitz james what have you done (laughs) (laughs) um so i i I really like sort of how it's sort of like a descent into hell almost of the carnival and then it literally ends with everything going on fire um from the ship's doctor um going basically mad um, whether from the strain of everything or to the realization that they are in fact all going to die and he's just like can't deal with it um, or the lead poisoning. It's basically could be any combination of things mm-hmm. on this show. Um, and I really like that aspect of it that it could literally just be any number of combinations of we've been trapped in ice for a year and a half and we're going to die. So let's just speed that process up plus demon polar bear stuff. Yeah. Um. So it's just really good. It's really horrific. Um, I still don't really know what they're doing. And maybe you can enlighten me a little bit with what Hickey's character is. Um, I could, but I might spoil something. So I'm okay, not well, gonna. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I was a little frustrated. Yeah, I was a little frustrated with, um, I've been frustrated with that character for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but like within this episode in particular, it's just like, I don't know quite what you're doing here. Are you helping this guy? Are you not helping this guy? It was a little unclear. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of that, I think, is coming through also within his motivations not being super clear, but also like the editing of some of that just not conveying, I think, meaning as well as they could have been. Um, but it's like nitpicky stuff that I have to point to, to like, be like this. Cause mm-hmm. it's really good. Jared Harris standing up after detoxing me like, all right, well, they deserve to know. So by the way, guys, we're all walking 800 miles. Get ready. And it's just yeah. like, ah. so it's very I, good. I, it's really- I love the reaction shots of the, but. Remember those guys I sent out last year? You're welcome. Mm-hmm. They're going to be on the way back. <laughs> They're going to be coming yeah, back with supplies. Them. Yeah, sure they are. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm totally what? sure they are. <laughs> well, what do you think of? I'm just going to keep saying Tobias Menzies, but Captain Fitzjames coming around to Team Harris. Did you expect that to happen so quickly? Well, I, I think it. Well, it doesn't happen quickly within the show's like time frame. Yeah, at least um, skip a couple weeks. Yeah, they skip a couple of weeks. Um, but I think that th- he's at least pragmatic enough to understand that they're fine, just mm-hmm. on a food level. Like, they they don't really have a choice. 
mm-hmm. and when you factor in like the poisoning and everything um that he may have been like deeply dedicated to um sir john or whatever heinz's character's name was i think it was john mm-hmm. yeah um he's smart enough to know basically that they need to leave and i i i think that that needed to happen both within this point and like the season's run because we've only got like four episodes left and if you had delayed it any longer then i think that the walk that i'm assuming starts next week um will needs to like be basically the rest of this season for it to have the degree of, especially given the setup that it gets in this episode, of like, it's not really so much what happens out there, all right, mm-hmm. Captain? It's what happens in here, in your head, and the thoughts. That that's what's, like, motivating, A, the action of this episode, but also what's motivating, I think, Fitzjames to make a decision that they need to get out of the boats. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I mentioned the, in the book that there's friendly fire. Uh, the reason there's friendly fire is that the, the polar bear attacks the carnival. And okay. And switching that from, again, the problem is the polar bear to, no, it's the people. It's the, it's this doctor, um, (laughs) leaving us with no trained doctor surgeons. Just like one, one guy who's like not really a doctor, but, uh, he's a surgeon, not a doctor, right? Um, yeah. He's he's the ship's surgeon, but not the doctor, which is a weird sort of. It was a very different profession at the time. It was a very different job. Um, yeah, that is a that's a fun position to be in uh, from where they're heading out on an eight mile, eight hundred mile track. Um, yeah, it, it just was a very compelling episode, very well shot. The performances continue to be terrific. <sighs> no flashbacks in so long, and such a great choice. Um, any other thoughts on the terror? No, I'm just I'm really excited for the like this last run that we're gonna get. I'm very mm-hmm. very excited. Yeah. Uh, what wins your week in drama? This is tough. This is a really it tough is. one this week. I, it's, well, I not feel for like me. This it's the really, Americans for me, but like. Yeah, no, it, for me, it's very difficult. Um, I think I'll give it to the terror. Um, I think it was just a, like a, a much stronger episode. Um, if Killing Eve hadn't like so aggressively set up and then fridged him, fridged mm-hmm. Bill, it probably would have been Killing Eve, but yeah. it just rankles a little, it rankles just enough yeah. that. I'm going to burn this carnival and everyone else to the ground <laughs> tops that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay. Well, on burning the carnival to the ground, that may be a preview of some of our thoughts about a certain cliffhanger from Jane the Virgin. Um, but more on that after we listen to the theme, the love theme, the Jane love theme. Um, and then we'll come back with our spotlight on season four of Jane the Virgin. We'll be right back after this.
that was some of the fabulous music from Jane the Virgin, and which means it's time for us to dive in deep with the season four finale of Jane the Virgin, as well as the season as a whole. Um, but mostly the finale. Let's not kid ourselves here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we only have so much time to talk, so that's gonna that's gonna limit our scope. Um, so Noel. Obviously, uh, you had warned me of this. Several people had warned everyone of this. Uh, you need to watch live. Yeah. And or you need to be off Twitter until you yes. watch this. And 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 then I think you also said, and text me as soon as you watch it or something like that. I did. <laughs> yes. Mainly because I wanted to know what you thought of the, 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 the big Petra and JR. No, it was not that. It was not that. Though I have many thoughts and, well, I have like two thoughts and yeah, I'm I was about to say, talk about that. The suspect pool is very small. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm not even worried about that. Uh, no, I'm just mostly going, yay, Rosalia Dawson's coming back. That is the correct response. It was just like, oh, right. Well, this just means we're going to get more Rosario Dawson. I don't really care who shot who. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, but listeners, we've given people enough time to turn off their phones if they uh, or, or various podcatching devices if they haven't seen it. We are, of course, starting with the end of this episode. So I feel like yes. I feel like a lot like if you didn't like the ending, it's still a good finale. But. <laughs> Uh, but I think if, like, the other stuff all kind of works really well and culminates yes. the season and, like, there's some new things introduced, but not too much. Like, they didn't put Mateo in danger, thankfully. They did. The 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 idiot kid got on a bus by himself. Yeah, but, like, that was low-scale danger. Yeah. That was, like, yeah, very relatable, you know? Like, but still. Um, so... So I think a lot of people's reactions to this finale comes down to what did you think think of the twist? So Jane goes over to Raph's. There's only so many things it could be that would justify his reaction to everything and his behavior this episode. Uh, I was concerned. Like, what can it be? That doesn't like that's not going to work. They're overplaying this. And then we see Brett Deer, which we don't know if it's Michael. Right, the credits are very clear on not identifying him. Yeah, um, but we know that Raph certainly thinks it's Michael, and Jane assumes it's Michael, and ba-rum-ba-ba, drama, drama, drama. So, um, what did you think when you first watched it, and has your opinion changed over the past, like, you know, half week since, since then, or week since then, and uh, where are you at now? I didn't like it. It makes me kind of upset. Um, okay. Even as much as they've clearly laid a lot of groundwork for this, I think especially in the last few episodes um, by, and I had a discussion with the uh, one of the writers over at Vulture, Catherine, about this a little bit um, in that a lot of what they do with Riverfields is growing acceptance of the telenovela tropes really establishes that this is a thing that's going to happen. So it it shifts from wanting to Americanize it and get rid of amnesia, get rid of familial uh, relations, hiding in plain sight, get rid of all that kind of stuff. And then she comes around to it like right before the finale. And then they give us like a massive telenovela sort of twist in the finale of, hey, by the way, the guy who was your OTP, not so much and not so much dead anymore. Maybe. Who knows? It could be a mass, could be plastic surgery, could be a twin, could be amnesia. I mean, literally could be just about anything at this point. 
And I'm, I don't like it. I don't like it, Kate. I mean, for one thing, if if he doesn't have amnesia and he has faked his death to protect Jane and Mateo, then that's just not a good look for Michael. <laughs> and that makes Team Michael people look really terrible. And as a Team Michael person, I don't like to look really terrible. <laughs> But it also feels like the show reintroducing the love triangle, which is not necessary this stage in the game, especially because of where Jane and Raph are in their relationship. And the idea that Raph is still really insecure about Michael is really frustrating to me at this point. So having that brought back forward feels like it's very much driving us to the show's OTP of Jane and Raph, which is where this was always going to end anyway. But they just feel like they need to do a last-minute complication, and I am I am not here for it. Um, so I don't think that there's a good way to deal with this, personally, because if it's a mask or anything, plastic surgery or anything like that, if it's not Michael, basically, then that seems like a real stretch. If it is Michael, it just feels a little desperate to me. But how did you feel about it? I was initially, immediately strongly side-eyeing i was yeah. like i was like okay well for pros like i said this totally pays off raf's reaction yes and his behavior all episodes clicked into place it was like okay that was actually excellent writing for him yes and he's like everything that all made sense which is always what you want when you have a reveal like this um however for all of the reasons that you know that we will likely get into i was like guys seriously like you've earned a lot of trust yes so you know that's why i'm like not like throwing my hands up but extreme side eye but then my over the past several days i have really come around to it okay and and thinking on like you said the some of the structuring of the season and the various things that they've been doing with with the Riverfields character and the discussion around telenovelas with like finding out how soon this was like part of the plan meaning like season 3 this was locked in they were definitely going to do this um really i think is heartening for me cuz then yeah. it it means that they have not they're not like going to betray the work that they've done so far with what's coming, like by tw- changing it up, it's like though they were always planning this out, like the so they the choices they were making for Jane and Raph and everybody um, were very deliberate and uh, were are not th- something they're going to try to retcon away. Yeah, so that's encouraging. Also, just seeing the the video of him showing up, being surprised a surprise at the table read was just so heartwarming. The actor, <laughs> but um. The thing for me is, uh, I think we're definitely going to have amnesia. Mm-hmm. And I all like for me, I hope it's not Michael. Um, because I think he should stay dead. Yeah, um, he should. I think, like, for what works for me, what I'm hoping for is it's Michael's shady brother who's gotten the, sur- the, the face surgeries things that have been long established with- within the show's yeah. canon, and that Rose has given him amnesia. Like, like they've like medically induced amnesia in him or something with sure. or without his knowledge. So he doesn't know who he is. So he will, they'll think he's Michael. He'll think he's Michael. 
all of that good stuff. But it's not actually Michael, so it doesn't like it's not pulling a fast one on the audience because that's that's it's something like this. The thing you have to take into account is it's not just Jane who f- feels betrayed; it's all of the audience. You know, like you're betraying your entire audience who legit mourned this character in right. a and real that relationship. Way. Yeah, yeah. And like um, you said, how could they do this to Rogelio? How could they do this to Rogelio? Exactly. <laughs> so, um, that's what I'm leaning towards. I think, like, because of the all the the foregrounding of uh, the evil twins and the long lost family and the amnesia, that's where I go for it. Yeah. And also, he died in the middle of a room surrounded by people. Or did he? We saw, like, he collapsed and and died on the floor there. Like, or immediately is what, is what we were shown. So Yeah, and that gets into, like, a larger issue of if it is him, then that requires so much off-screen explanation that I am not here for. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it could be something where, like... He got rushed to the hospital and they saved him at the last, they were able to stabilize him, but then the cops like pulled him in and were like, this is the opportunity. We are going to fake your death. We have to do this because this is that or the other, or or that Rose did it, you know, you yeah. know, you like, we're, I need the heart thing to have happened and be legit. And mm-hmm. then if it is Michael, then the only thing that works for me is if that they, Man, like they rushed him to the hospital, but he didn't actually like die on the way over. He they stabilized him, but then they faked it. Like like that maybe could work, but I don't know. What do you think of of where I'm at with it? I think that you've moved on to acceptance, where I'm still in like anger denial, <laughs> <laughs> um, in like some sort of weird reverse mourning process of because I don't get to mourn anymore. Um, I get to mourn the idea that he's dead. <laughs> so yeah i think you're in a better place about it and i and that's the thing is like i'm still just sort of like angry about it in terms of i feel like the show is despite its trappings within the telenovela is also just kind of beyond this in part because it's a connected to rose and none of the rose stuff historically works very well yeah and that makes me really antsy even if they have been planning this for two years it's like no but you're then why weren't you planning any of the rose stuff better because it's never worked very well um so it, it's frustrating i i think that the the one big upside is that it brings brett deer back to the show yeah and he's phenomenal he's fantastic his presence is really great even if even if he is playing an amnesiac evil brother with plastic surgery or whatever the case will be He's so good. And I think that the show has done a really good job of moving past him without forgetting, A, the performance would be forgetting Michael. Because Michael's been very present throughout this season and even throughout like some of the ladders of last season. So I think that... Uh, ladders of season three. So I think that there's plenty of really good stuff here um, in just his him being back. Ow. But I... I just worry about the ways in which this plays out. And that gets me really nervous, but it's also a really great way to bring me back for season five, even though I was totally coming back for season five anyway, <laughs> because hashtag who JR shot. But 
I'm still just kind of like, I don't, I don't need this kind of torture for my Jane and I don't mm-hmm. need it for her and I don't need it for Rogelio. Yeah. And I really so, don't need it for Roe. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's, I'm actually more concerned for Roe than I am for Jane. Cause he just accepted Raph. He just accepted him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think I'm, I'm totally down with, uh, or I'm totally fine with what they give Raph here. And I think that, like, I think that he wasn't, he, he was, you know, like, insecure about Michael, but I think he moved past that earlier in the season. I think the response we get from him here is not so much a, like, well, you could say it's a, he thinks he's going to lose Jane again. It's totally but, he thinks he's going to lose Jane again. For me, he's drinking I, by himself again. <laughs> yeah, but for me, I think it's, it could also just be he knows it'll never be the same again. Mm-hmm. Like, and he doesn't know what, he doesn't, I don't think he necessarily knows he's going to, he's losing Jane so much as he doesn't know either way. And yeah. he knows that things are amazing right now, but they can't, they're going to change and they can't, you know, like I, for me, it's more that than it's like, he doesn't trust her or this other thing. And I, th- I think it felt more mature than that to me. And that was in Baldani, Justin Baldani's performance and especially his physicality to me. Um, mm-hmm. Cause it didn't seem, he didn't seem bitter. He didn't, he seemed like he seemed despondent and angry, but not at her, just at like the situation. And, and eventually like, like, like the response we see him have, the progression we see him go through, knowing, you know, like thinking back on the episode, that is, again, that's like five years older Raph or three years older because we skipped three years, but the other timelines are condensed. I know, I don't know. But this is such a different Raph than we knew in season one, you know? Yeah. To be able to then, like, have that day and be like, I'm going to go take care of this. But until then, we're going to have a nice day and we're going to go to the party and we're, you know, like, and all that. I thought that was it was really nice and really reflects well on the progression both the writers but the actor have given that character. And also he could have just said that, hey, by the way, a crime lord has told me that maybe your ex-dead husband is alive way sooner. <laughs> well, but then it's if he's not, then that just I mean, I see him. I, I don't have any problem with him not saying anything until he confirmed it. Like, uh-huh. cause why? Why upset? her and like everything with with what is probably just a lie yeah but he also didn't want to tell her at the end she only finds out because she like goes into the apartment at the end because she he's just like this is not a good time (laughs) wait no i thought i i need to rewatch it i thought that he specifically had her come over knowing that michael was going to be there and he she goes into out in the hall and then he brings her in no, I don't think that's how that played. I think because she she he says it's not a good time and she leaves and then that's a different pattern for them and that's why she no, goes back. That no, that was the first time. That was the first time? That's not the second. That's not the end. At the end he specifically had her come over to show her Michael. The first time when she goes the first and time was the drinking, right? It was the drinking. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then he goes out okay. on the balcony instead. Right, 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 right. So, you know, like, and, you know, I'll give him that one. <laughs> yeah. I'll give him the drunk, drunk evening instead. Um, I'm so grateful that they didn't, that they, but like, despite any qualms about this, I so prefer it to, like, actually, your parents are this. I, like, I don't, because I don't care yeah. about Raph's parents at all. <laughs> yeah. Not, I, like, negative care about his parents. Uh, unless Rose is somehow his auntie on his mother's side, um, which would at least and- make the Rose stuff, the, the, um, the, the sister stuff, not Louisa's stuff, not as creepy, but I don't know. What? I, 
Well, yeah, because it would be the they don't share a mother, so yeah. But it's still weird. But we already know she's weird and creepy. So yeah, yeah. She's she's a like serial killer. Anyways, um, let's talk about Jr. Yeah, I love them for inverting who shot Jr. Because we've been all <laughs> waiting for that, right? We've been waiting for, and we're like, we get it, Rosario Dawson. You're too famous for this show, whatever. I've been, you know, when she didn't leave, then it's like, okay, oh, well, she her name is Jr. They can't just leave that there. So who's gonna kill Jr. At the yeah. end, and then they flip it instead and invert the barrier gaze, and I'm so happy. <laughs> it's it's a very good inversion and it's it's worth like the punchline for it i think i think the punchline's fine i kind of rolled my eyes initially at that and then i just went no i'm okay with that for any number of reasons including the one we already enumerated which is obviously this means we're going to get more rosario dawson (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i can't like i can't think of who it could be where i would care or it would make sense but i like but i don't care that i can't think of who it would be yeah, and because it kind of circles back to, I don't care about any of the crime stuff on this show ever anymore. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like her whole thing of you. And it's just like, well, Krishna's in jail. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also Krishna would not go this far. Um, so it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> I also, I don't buy the way that they did the, well, I don't think that they, the payoff built, like, worked for the the buildup of Petra actually killing Aneshka. I think that... Yeah, no, it didn't. That, they, first of all, the heel shouldn't have been a chunky heel. It should have been a thin heel. Um, and also, like, like impulsive, like, like, her running all the way across the room like that, I don't buy it. Like, yeah. a scuffle that, like, or something like that, or, like, an instinctive, like, in the second, but not a run across. I don't buy that at all. I don't think it fits with the character, and I don't think it fits with the legwork they've done all season. Um, I would actually even just put it onto execution of the the blocking and the specifics of that scene. Like I, I think that what like you know they they really spotlit the, the reaction from Petra when Jr. Came, you know like got her case dismissed, but sacrificed her career. Like we knew that Petra did it, yeah. but. Yeah, I really didn't think that blocking worked. I think they should have made it less purposeful to be in character. Yeah, less of like a crime of like passion, really. Yeah, um, I, I mean, because I have no trouble with her mother like shading things in a more deliberate way, and that's so. Then it's again, it was an accident, or it was I, I just reacted, and I was too late, like. That, but that didn't happen. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I was a little uh, less than th- thrilled about that. I was more thrilled about our, un- like, confirming a fan theory for a long time, our, uh, the underlining of the fact that the show is Jane's book. Yeah. Which we get here. I thought that was lovely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really nice. And I really liked how that was represented graphically as well. Like mm-hmm. the swirling pages around her, she's figuring it out and combining everything. I really liked that. And I hadn't heard that theory before, but that's really, really lovely. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the, the narrator is Jane, you know, that's fun. <laughs> um, or Aww. a version of, of Jane. Um, okay. What else? How did you like Abla? versus Alba. I, I I thought that was so sweet. I really enjoyed the stuff they gave Brooke Shields this week. 
Yeah, no, the stuff that they gave Rook Shields this week was really good, but also just the overall arc of the Alba stuff I thought worked really, really well. I liked the platonic marriage so that Jorge can go back to Mexico to see his mother one last time, even though we all probably know this is going to turn out horribly in some way. Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> it's just going to, it's going to end weirdly somehow, but it was a very sweet ceremony and it was very lovely and I really liked it and... It just made me very happy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Are there any other aspects of the episode you want to touch on? No, I I think we should just move into discussing the season as a whole. And I'm looking at like the Wikipedia page right now. I've got it pulled up. And um, Kate, I got to tell you, I I somehow blocked out the first half of this season and all the Adam stuff. I like completely forgot that this happened this season. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, like we were doing at our end of the year list and like Jane didn't make my list last year. And the big part of that was that first half of the season, which like there was lots of good stuff, but like it didn't come together as a whole at all for me. Yeah. Um, For me, the last couple episodes before the hiatus really kicked things up a notch. And I've been super on board for the second half of the season. Yeah, I have too. And that's what I was like thinking about was that since they came back from really the hiatus, um, which is like when Aneska falls to her death and everything or slash is murdered. Um, mm-hmm. They've just when come they back went really in sh- with Raph. Yeah. Yeah. They ju- they've just come back really, really strong, I think. And so discussions around like um, the postpartum a little bit um, with Rogelio <laughs> while I'm using um but that kind of stuff or um jane trying to find her writing career again or the negative review and the writer's block that it's all kind of come back within the past month or so i think it's just been really really strong and i've i've just been really happy with jane overall in this back half of the season yeah no definitely and i think like there is such a clear delineation you know, that, that break, because we had uh, the stuff with Aneshka, we had um, the stuff with um, with Jane and Raph, having the stuff with um, with JR come in, and this new stuff for Petra has been much more interesting than all the hotel drama, because again, we don't care about the hotel. Um, having the, the, you know, like some of the back and forth with Jorge and Alba has been a bit much for me, but... Yeah. Uh, that actually was a highlight. Like their their girls' night out, right, was a highlight of the first part of the season for me. And I think the way that it's been handled in the second half has been really, really terrific. And and even just like the Zoe cancer stuff, which has been yeah. the later part of the. I think they've really nailed uh, how yeah. terrific uh, was uh, Amy Brenneman, you know, in one episode. Oh. Just like a gut punch of like, oh, wow, this is a re- Oh, right. We're going to get Amy Brennan for a couple episodes. I'm very happy about this. No, no. <laughs> you're not. Well, and, par- and her husband directed the pilot. So she- I- that's how I'm guessing that's how they got her for that. Yeah. Oh, I- that I makes love sense. That. Yeah. 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 And Andrea Navito has just been really great um, with this last little bit. And I, w- I was really glad that Zoe was given like really strong story type stuff as opposed to sort of misdirect that she's cheating on Rogelio and it was a dance competition training and it's just like mm-hmm. and so they they I, th- I do feel like that they kind of struggled with Zoe a little bit in terms of like her being frustrated with her career with where it was going or not going um, as much as I sort of enjoyed her whole, whole attempt to work with that other dance studio woman 
Yeah. <laughs> was very good. With the pole, but yeah. It just it never coalesced into anything. Um, so I really liked um how they found a way to br- center her in a bunch of other stories, but also like give her her own story. Mm-hmm. So she ends up making sure by being present that she gets Riverfield on board with telenovelas. Yeah. And that's really good. And even, and I, it was really amusing because she just downs a whole cookie. <laughs> and those things are strong. Um, <laughs> I love the, that scene, the delivery of everything. I like the, uh, Andrea Nevada's performance was just terrific. She's just like laughing. She's like, oh, mm-hmm. you're not going, Keys, you're not going any, you wouldn't even know what you're in for, lady. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, do you see what I look like? Yeah, those are not the, like, the, the discount, like, like, a little bit effective brownies. We got the real stuff here, so. Yeah. 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 Um. Also, I think the halfway point, that marks a bit of a pivot for the, the stuff with, with Rogelio and with um Justina Machada and, yeah. and, and uh, with Baby and, and Esteban and all that, like, I thought, which they maintain, like, they still... I still don't like Justine Machado on the show, which is insane because I love her so much on One Day at a Time. They still haven't figured out the right way to balance that character, um, which is strange to say. But I think where we got in the second, again, the second half of the season was much, like, yeah, it was a much better balance of them. Showing up here and there with for some banter and some energy, but not constant sniping. I think yeah. it's a much more effective thing. When when Esteban is the uh mature adult mature in- one. <laughs> yeah, when he's the one on Team Baby, you know there's a problem. Yeah. But that scene between the two of them just is so good. Like it where they're just both admit that they want one another to like them. Um yeah. it's just it's so good and so touching, and that's the correct use of Machado right there. Yeah. And they've they just like you said they've just really struggled to find that. So having that play out there is really really nice. Yeah. Um. Any other elements that you want to highlight? Any your favorite episodes of the season or or moments or scenes? How great is it to have Alba's citizenship? Like I loved. I when I saw the realized that the reason they brought that back was so they could do this Jorge thing. I was disappointed, but I, I loved everything we got up to there. Yeah, like, I did too. Yeah. And I like that it allowed Zoe to fill that role again as well as like the one who like pushes everyone to make sure that the correct thing happens in terms of not letting obstacles get in their way. So I really liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Episode wise, um, I really, I, I kind of still really like that bookstore episode where they're rallying to try and save it because mm-hmm. um, it feels really specific and really like community centered. Um, so I liked that aspect of it, for especially for a show that generally feels really contained in houses and the hotel having that one little branch out i thought was really really good mm-hmm. um that was that that's really the only one that kind of stuck in my brain uh from like the earlier run of this season uh what about you anything in particular for you um uh, well i think of the um yeah i, I think of the the book fair mm-hmm I, I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, and like the, the, the streaming video with like the two people in the audience, um, which of course uh, was, was super fun. Um, I, I, then I think of the episode before, like the final episode before the hiatus and mm-hmm. 
and I don't remember because the episode titles I don't remember which one is which. But um, and just if we just never hear, have to hear about the Marbella ever again, I'll I'll be happy. So, um, the the pivot into the next half, like second half, and I think it's been it was a good pivot. And yeah, I think for me, so much of the, my issues with the first half do come down. I think it's just down to casting. Uh, yeah. No, no offense to Tyler Posey. I know he's got a lot of fans out there, and um, is apparently very good in many things. But I just never. I was always like, it was very much an Anvil like him situation. And uh, writers like the Jane writers. I'm sorry, y'all wrong. Jane's love theme does not get to be Adam's thing. Uh, yeah, no, does not at all. No, that is not a thing. I have deleted it from my head canon. Uh, <laughs> But I, I don't know what so like having trying to build in a third equally epic romance just didn't work, and they they tried to really lampshade it and get on top of that. But it just I think he should have been somebody new and not been this tie to the past who was like the like the er original yeah. love interest, you know, um that would have worked better. But yeah, I think I think the episode where we had the dual narrators was another really fun one, even if I didn't care about Adam. That was a, yeah. at least a creative thing. Uh, highlight, it, but the they never part. justified him having his own narrator. <laughs> yeah, well, that's you're too boring to have your own narrator, Adam. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I concur. I concur. Um, I think it's safe to say. Um, well, it's not safe to say. I shouldn't say that. I am certainly uh, much more excited for next season than I was for the stuff that started this season. I'm more excited about figuring out what they're gonna how what magic they're gonna try to work to explain the this Brett Deer reveal than I was with like that's that's Adam oh and that's a big deal we're supposed to care about that you know yeah I think I think this finale worked much better for me than the last finale yeah absolutely because we care about Brett Deer slash Michael slash whomever this is mm-hmm. and so that immediately ups our stakes a lot. And so yeah. hopefully I'm as much as I'm still like, Ugh, about this. I mean, I will be here on October in October or however many episodes they get. Yeah. For well, season five. They're going to, I think they're going up to 100, right? Cause Are they're they? at 81. So right. I think 19 for next yeah. season would make sense. Or maybe, maybe 20 and then they can do 101, like finish with episode a hundred and then like have a epilogue or I don't know who knows what they'll do, but yeah, that that seems like a very round number, especially with this season having seventeen. I think mm-hmm. nineteen to get to a hundred, which is the magic syndication number, not anymore, but still, there's yeah, a syndication to it. Yeah, yeah, it, there is, but I mean, they they did twenty in season three, so there's no reason that they couldn't do nineteen in season five. It just, yeah. I think it will probably just depend on their budget. Yeah, it's very straight. Like seventeen is a weird number. Yeah, but you have to remember there were a lot of weird numbers on broadcast this year. Ah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, because fresh off the boat and speechless. Yeah, yeah. And that's legends, true. just yeah. so many weird numbers this year. Huh. Well, on that note, weird numbers and weird occurrences in the mm-hmm. Villanueva family. Um, any final thoughts on the season? Anything you want our listeners to reach out about with their thoughts on? I mean, just tell us how you feel about Brett Deer being back. Um, and how you, how you're gonna feel. What were your feels? Yeah. Is really what I, I think we both want to know is what were your feels? 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. A few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org. You can leave us a comment there and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. Let us know what you thought of Jane. <laughs> you can also email us theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like the page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can also uh, leave a rating or review on iTunes where you have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed as well as over on uh, Stitcher. And we'd appreciate hearing from either of, uh, from from you at either place. And of course, we're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse, and Noel, you are at Noel RK. Thank you so much, Noel. Thank you, Kate. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. <laughs>